Mythic Existence. I'm your host, Jack Daly. On today's show, we are going to be discussing the archaeology of counter-witchcraft and popular magic. We'll look at how protective charms such as witch bottles and dried cats, along with other magic items, were used in England to protect against witches and evil spirits. So sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of Mythic Existence. So a lot of the research for today's episode is based off of a book called The Archaeology of Counter-Witchcraft, which was written by a man named Brian Hoggard. Uh, the, the whole title of the book is Magic House Protection, The Archaeology of Counter-Witchcraft. And basically this guy realized that a lot of protective objects were hidden in the walls and in the floors and in the fireplaces, kind of liminal threshold spaces in English houses, mostly England, scattered into, you know, Wales and Scotland and Ireland as well, and that they were used as protective sort of um, amulets in a certain way against particularly evil forces like witches and demons and ghosts. As was mentioned in the kind of beginning sequence, dried cats and witch bottles were some of the most prevalent, but there were also horse skulls and little shoes and stuff like that. So we're just going to go into detail about all of these different charms that were used and uh, the time period is basically early modern period well into the 20th century i think that there's reason to believe that people are still doing this type of thing i think it's probably reasonable to believe that this these practices extended beyond uh the early modern period before um definitely stretched beyond but there's certain problems with dating and you know, not everybody's going to report these things. If they find them, they might not understand the significance or, you know, know who they should be reporting it to. So there's probably a lot more out there to be found that we don't quite know of, but that's kind of the give and take of material remains in general is that on the one hand, they're great because they give us a record where no physical record exists, no written record. They give us a physical record. But on the other hand, there's all sorts of problems with things like dating and the lack of reporting and the difficulties that go into finding these sort of things because they're often found during demolitions and repairs, which are not always happening. So... Strictly speaking, before we get into the particulars about each topic, witch bottles, dried cats, these objects are what are referred to as apotropaic magic. Now, apotropaic magic is basically magic that is designed to protect or ward off evil spirits. So apotropaic means protective. And that's basically the idea is that they were concealed and placed in portions of the house or the home where witches or spirits might enter through a fireplace, uh, you know, the hearth, places like that. That's where you would place, you know, these items and it would be ways to protect your house, but also to, um, in some cases, actually force specific witches in your area to release curses that you think have been placed 
on yourself. It's interesting to note that we have evidence of these sort of things that come from before, during, and after the witch trials. Oftentimes there's a misconception that the witch trials happened and witchcraft went away entirely. But the actuality of the matter was that it was a long, drawn-out decline that is still not... I mean, modern witchcraft, modern occult esoteric belief is still extremely prevalent. And, you know, it's people are still using apertropaic magic in a number of creative um, and fresh sort of ways. So... There's that, and there's the fact that there's another misconception that the witch trials and stuff like that happened in the Middle Ages because we associate that with um, darkness and a lack of rationality. But in actuality, uh, witchcraft and things of that nature were extremely prevalent during the early modern period. The 1600s were the biggest time for witchcraft in England in particular around the 1640s was kind of where it hit the head. That's after Shakespeare, after Macbeth, you know, the scientific revolution is gaining way, but still witchcraft was extremely prevalent. So let's get into our discussion about witch bottles. Witch bottles are one of the most uh, interesting types of these attributes Atropaic uh, magic objects that there are. Like I said, mid 16th century to 20th century, this is the typical time period where we find these. They were basically, which bottles are kind of what they sound like. They're little bottles that are concealed throughout the house, but what makes them kind of unique is usually you would pee inside of them. And this is kind of an idea of sympathetic magic is, is, or contagious magic. Sympathetic magic is this umbrella term that basically denotes that some sort of symbolic connection is working the magic. Contagious magic means that there's a physical connection between the person that's doing the magic or the person that the magic is aimed against. So you can have... Sympathetic magic and contagious magic and apotropaic magic all into one. But basically, they're, they started out, they usually would be glass or uh, stoneware that was imported from Germany. Glass became the more like in vogue way of making these bottles later on. But it's interesting that it seems that Germany is kind of the origin of where this belief came from and was imported into England, the original witch bottles were called Bellarmines, which were named after a a Catholic bishop who was also the namesake of Bellarmine University in uh, the United States. And oftentimes the Bellarmine witch bottles would have sort of a bearded man with that had kind of a nasty look on him, and that was meant to be this Bishop Bellarmine. I couldn't find anything saying that he actually had anything in particular to do with witchcraft. He was part of the the Copernican 
he was against Copernicus. He was one of those guys. So, um, not somebody who was super progressive, I would say, but basically the idea of the witch bottles is you would often also put things like nails and uh, other kind of trapping mechanisms inside of them. And there's two ways that they would work. Is basically one, a witch would be entering your house and would get trapped in the witch bottle. So you were trapping them. Or the second is that the witch bottle was actually supposed to uh, simulate the bladder of the witch. And it would inflict harm on the witch's bladder because of the nails and the pins and stuff like that. So it would, it would hurt them and cause them to release the, um, the charm or spell or curse that they had placed against you. So it was used generally against witches in general, but it was also used against specific witches that people think that had placed a curse uh, upon them. There was an episode of Antique Roadshow where they found this old witch bottle and the guy drank from it. He thought it was wine, but it wasn't wine. It was literally, you know, piss and urine and nails and stuff like that. It's disgusting and it was hundreds of years old. So if you ever find an old bottle in your house in England, do not drink from it. It is not rare, expensive aged wine. It is probably pee that was used to trap a witch. Oftentimes, human hair was placed inside of it. That plays into this contagious aspect of the magic because the hair and the urine, semen, blood, that kind of thing is thought to contain the essence of an individual. And sometimes heart-shaped fabrics were placed inside, and I think that that is, again, intended to you know, inflict harm, I guess, in this case, to the heart of the witch. They're sort of, they're kind of like voodoo dolls in a certain way. So that's witch bottles. Dried cats are often found all throughout houses in England. They're typically found in the walls, but they also are found under floors and roofs. The scholars, they call the witch or the, the dried cats foundation sacrifices. And so there's a few ideas at play here. One is that the, the cats were sacrificed to the building itself so that another life wouldn't have to be taken in the building down the line. Another is that they were supposed to bring luck. They were symbols of luck, apparently, or that they are protecting against protecting against magic because they had the association with witchcraft and from pestilence. So there's an idea that they were supposed to be actually scaring off rats and mice and things of that nature. So they had a very um, you know tangible role in that way. Usually they were dead and dried up, but sometimes it actually seemed that they were placed in there alive, which is pretty to me as somebody who has a cat and loves my cat that's kind of disgusting but that just shows you the power of, of magical belief horse skulls are 
also something that is found not quite as wide as which bottles are cats. Apparently, 54 horse skulls have been found. That's the number that Brian Hoggard gives. This one seems to also have a couple of roles. Apparently, especially in Sweden, horse skulls are placed in the ground for their acoustic properties. I guess that the, the skull itself makes the floor sound better when you walk on it. So anybody that's lived in a crappy apartment building and has creaky floors and stuff like that know the importance of having good floor acoustics. So you could see if if these were found to be useful in that way, it might have some stay, some staying power. Horses like cats, I think part of their symbolic nature is what caused them to be used in this manner. Horses are known to be um, you know, very alert creatures. They serve humans in particular ways like transportation, stuff like that. But again, they seem to be protective and bringing luck to the house. There is a pre-Christian folk magic practice, uh, according to the, the, witchcraft, uh, the, the Museum of Witchcraft and Magic in England, that sacrificing a horse and placing its pull upon a head in a direction of a person you wanted to curse was a practice that people did. So horse skulls have had a long standing magical tradition. We also have the the Mari Luid, of course, which is the the Christmas time um, horse skull creature that has some interesting folklore, but that's kind of beyond the scope of this discussion. Concealed shoes are apparently basically the most commonly found items that are used in this apotropaic magic. According to Brian Hoggard, about one concealed shoe per month is reported, which is pretty substantial considering what we've talked about is they need to be found and they're often in the foundation and that requires some kind of work being done on the building. So they could be much more widespread than we even think that they are. They're also typically found in chimneys, walls, floorboards, roofs. They're symbols of luck and protection. Apparently, they might be tied to one of England's unofficial saints, which is John Scorn of Buckinghamshire, who was alleged to have trapped the devil in his boot. So shoes kind of work as a spirit trap in a similar way to witch bottles. So as opposed to the horse skull and the dried cats, which are kind of scaring off, these are actually trapping the, uh, the spirit or the witch. Reginald Scott, who wrote one of the seminal texts of, of witchcraft in England's history, which was the discovery of witches written in the 1600s, he says that spitting on shoes is one way that you can protect against witches. Shoes often are associated with fertility in folklore. There is reports of 20th century, a mother instructing her shoes or her daughter to not wear shoes while she was trying to get pregnant. There is a tradition of tying your garter to the wall and then placing your shoes in a T form beneath it to have dreams about your future husband. And of course, we have the story of the old woman who lived in a shoe and 
there's some obvious fertility connections there. The term spiritual middens is used to describe all of these. Um, spiritual middens are basically caches of magical objects that are found in a house. So that is kind of a term to describe these at large. And it's also believed that these concealed shoes were used in a very personal way to leave one's own mark on the house. And we can think that because they're often found having been worn. And of course, you know, especially in the 1600s, if you were to let go of a piece of your valuable clothing, such as shoes, there's probably a pretty significant, at least symbolic reason for doing so. One of the final pieces of these protective magic is written charms, which we find often either inscribed in the building itself or placed on a piece of paper and jammed into little areas like in between the timbers. So again, in that case, you can see how it would be hard to actually find these remains, but Oftentimes we find these anti-witch marks, especially daisy wheels, which are kind of like a six-petaled lotus uh, inside of a circle. And the, uh, the abracadabra mark, which is an actual, you know, magical, um, you know, formula is are found on these buildings. And that's it's. They're, they're protective, but they're also invoking power against the witches themselves. So that's the basic rundown of this protective magic that we find in England. I think that this is a really interesting realm of study because Brian Hoggart's work has focused on England, but I'm sure that there's other things to be found throughout Europe and the Americas, there's got to be a lot of really interesting things too. But like I said, in working with material remains, there's problems of finding the things, of them being reported, of interpretation, and things of that nature. So that's it for today's episode. Counter witchcraft and apotropaic magic was popular in England well into the 20th century and is likely still being carried out today. So, if you or a loved one fear that you have been cursed by a witch, maybe it would be okay to pee in a jar, stick it full of needles, and stuff it in your fireplace. Please follow Mythic Existence on social media, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and feel free to leave a positive review on your podcast app. Thanks for listening. See you next time.